Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in weekly to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Well, welcome everybody to the Family Biz Show. My name is Michael Columbus with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York, where it is currently getting snow flurries. It was 80 degrees last week, snow this week, typical for upstate New York. Today, we are blessed. Um, we have two incredible guests, Melissa Mitchell-Blitch and Paul Edelman. And we're going to be talking about boundaries within the family business. So welcome to both of you. Glad Thanks, to be Michael. here. Thanks. As we typically do, we, um, you know, th this being in this business of working with family owned businesses is more of a journey um, than, you know, you didn't typically walk in and say, oh, I want to go to school for this. Now you might be able to do that. Um, but when we started, it wasn't like that. So why don't you, Paul, why don't you kick us off and tell us about your journey? How did you start working with um, family-owned businesses? Okay, so uh, uh, my parents were uh, first-generation children of immigrants, and they ran a family business. Uh, and uh, like many parents, they, uh, they like giving their children advice and telling us what to do. <laughs> So uh, when I finished graduate school, I went to work as a consultant and a manager, uh, and I was determined to try a different approach from what I had learned at home. So I, I began using a simple model to help people think through problems, decide what to do, uh, see what happens, and uh, figure out what they could learn from that. And so I've been doing the, the same thing in one form or another uh, ever since. Uh, working with family businesses and a variety of other kinds of organizations. Wonderful. Welcome, appreciate you being here. Thanks, Michael. Melissa, you're up. Well, Michael, my path took one of those squiggly uh, paths that you were kind of alluding to when you asked this question. I, my first career was as a CPA and I did not plan to have a second, <laughs> second and third career. I love estate planning. I love the complexity. I love the challenge. I love that there's not just one answer and that was gonna be my thing. But in working at a big five accounting firm and their family wealth planning group, most of our families who had their you know, financial success because of a family business, I saw the challenges whenever you try to do business with family. It's just inherently challenging. And you know everything has pros and cons, but it seemed to me from my glimpse into their lives, there were just too many cons. <laughs> and I wanted to tip that scale. I wanted them to have a tipped scale where they enjoyed the benefits more and experiences the challenges less. So this was the late 90s. I went looking on the World Wide Web 
pre-Google days for someone who helped families with this challenge. And quite honestly, I did not know what I was looking for, so that made it harder to find. And again, it was pre-Google, but I couldn't find over a period of years, someone who I could identify who worked in the space where money and business and family overlap. And eventually I just said, well, the need's not going away. I'm interested in it. Maybe this is my call in life. I think it is. And so I left finance in 2003 to get a master's in psychology, got licensed, experienced in that. And then in 2000, brought these threads together of having the understanding of business and finance and, and estate planning, but at work at that intersection, psychology, money, business, family, to, to help families where those threads intersect and, and can be quite complex. Well, welcome, and we're glad that you made that journey. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Michael. I love the word. Thank you. Um, so today we're talking about boundaries within the family business. And, you know, before the, the, before the show started, yeah, we were just kind of chit-chatting and, you know, Paul brought up the fact that boundaries are everywhere. As soon as you start thinking about it, it's like, wow. So, you know, let's, let's talk about, you know, what boundaries are and why they're important to families and business. And, and Paul, I'm going to ask you to, you know, pop in on some of the conversations that we were having and, you know, what you would use as your definition of boundaries and why they're important to be thinking about. Sure. Just for context, uh, it's important for people to be aware that Michelle is the person who wrote the book. I'm sorry, Melissa. Uh, Melissa is the person who wrote the book on this. <laughs> and right. And in, just so that people know, there's a, there's a book out there that's called In the Company of Family, How to Thrive When Business is Personal. And the theme throughout the book is talking about these boundaries and you know, what you should be doing with them. Um, so we're glad that you wrote the book on it. And Paul and I are here to add some flavor and color to uh, the context of what you uh, have already researched and put together. Absolutely. We all have our thoughts. And that's the fun thing about this venue is mm -hmm. how we see them, what they are, how they're important. So Paul, thank you for your graciousness. So back to you on, you know, what are boundaries and why are they important in family businesses? Oh, so um, from my point of view, a boundary is, is a structure and it performs a, a certain function, um, it provides separation. So um, you could think of it, uh, well, you know, when we think of structures, there are physical structures that provide separation, like a fence or a wall or a door uh, separates, but it allows us to pass through. Um, but there are other kinds of structures. So uh, you can imagine psychological structures, like for example, a baby, uh, when it's growing, it develops a sense of him or herself as being separate from the mother. Initially, that doesn't exist, uh, but, but over time, that structure or that boundary is created in the child's mind through experience. Um, in, in relationships, we have uh, uh, structures as well, um, like a, a limit on how close I'm willing to get to somebody or to let them get to me physically or metaphorically. Um, and within families, we have uh, structures or boundaries, uh, like for example, the family therapists will talk about the parental subsystem and the sibling subsystem. Uh, and, and they talk about maintaining a good boundary between those systems. 
Um, finally, within a business, um, there are various structures, you know, might have uh, rules in an employee handbook, you know, that, that set a limit on the number of paid sick days, or um, we might have reserved parking spots or uh, uh, the separation between labor and management or between manufacturing and, and sales. So that's, that's one way of looking at it, but I'd be curious to hear how Melissa sees it. Uh. Thanks, Paul. Well, for me, uh, Paul, you did a great job of saying there are all types of, of boundaries from the physical, you know, like something as, as mighty as a, a wall to, to a parking space, you know, maybe a little sign that says, you know, like CEO or, or even that personal space of proximity with with people boundaries really are everywhere and take all shapes and forms depending on what their purpose is specifically but i like to keep it simple and just say a boundary is anything whose purpose is to let in the good and keep out the bad and that can be as you know as you know ordinary as i'm born with skin <laughs> thank goodness to keep my organs in and to keep the germs out it can be as simple yet profound as you know stripes of paint on a highway that keep the cars in their respective lanes and, and keep us safe um, they can be our words i think is one thing that paul didn't specifically mention simply our words by essentially what we say yes to we're letting in if we say no, we are, you know, keeping something out, but a boundary really can be simplified to say it's anything uh, tangible or, you know, not meta metaphorically, whose purpose is to let in the good and keep out the bad. And when we make it that simple, who wouldn't say, I want, <laughs> I want those things working in my life. Love it. That's, and that keeps it really simple. You're, you're absolutely right. It's uh, let in the good, let out the bad. It's a simple principle, but what we're going to get into is it's not always easy to know, you know, what is good, what is bad, or even those competing goods or competing bads or different roles, different priorities, different timelines, that the application is where the challenge is. So let's keep it simple while we can to help us in the more challenging parts. Great. So I'm going to ask you, Melissa, when we talk about, you know, what are some of the common myths about boundaries, you know, I guess I wouldn't have even thought about the myths around them. So I like this concept, walk us through it. Yeah, well, I'll say, so myths, you know, like reasons people may not want to, to have boundaries or they may have some resistance to it. I'll even backstep and say the most common response I get whenever I start to talk to folks about boundaries is I never knew boundaries existed. So how can we put them to work for us if we don't even know they exist? But then the second thing, which really gets more directly into being a myth, the second most common response I get is I thought boundaries were all about walls. And absolutely some of them are. If there's something of significant value and a significant risk, don't we want walls, you know, protecting us? However, you know, when they're actually most boundaries are more like a fence. <clears throat> Again, let in fence with a gate, let in the good, keep out the bad. And we want that, you know, a lot of the boundaries that we talk about are in the context of relationships with other people. We want that connection. We need that connection. And so having boundaries again, that just serve that purpose to let in the good and keep out the bad. And one of the other myths is around, you know, do I have a right? Do I have a right to say no to people that I love? Do I have a right to say no if it's gonna hurt their feelings? 
And so that's one of the other myths is that uncertainty of, do I even have a right to, to have boundaries? It is going to be an inconvenience to, to other people. But I would say, and we're going to unpack more today, we have a responsibility to have boundaries, even with those precious relationships, because if we don't have something, again, working for those precious relationships to let in the good and keep out the bad, what's going to happen? but navigating that well, knowing, you know, what we want those boundaries to be. That's, that's the opportunity. Paul, anything, anything you'd like to add when you're oh. thinking about boundaries and how, you know, how people react just to just the thought of boundaries? Well, I, I think that sometimes when people hear the term, it, it may seem a little abstract. Um, uh, you know, but um, there's some everyday terms that that are helpful um, that sort of overlap with the concept of boundaries. So when we're talking about what are somebody's rules or what are their responsibilities or what are the limits that we have to adhere to, these are all examples of boundaries. So if you, if you kind of think of some of these more general terms, it, it helps to uh, make it feel more familiar for people. I would throw, you know, what you said earlier too, in talking about, you know, the the parking space, and you used the your first job at AT and T. You were talking about, um, and it's maybe it's just, are we taking the time to be thought-filled and purposeful about the boundaries around us, and that, you know, because it's work, right, and it gets different. It's it, we're so busy doing. We're, we're not often taking the time to think, you know, because we're, it just, life is busy. And I think this year of all years, I, we, my team and I have found, and I don't know if you're found the same thing, that here we are in the third quarter, you know, fourth, we're in the fourth quarter now, but having our best year in business and, and we're, we're kind of scrambling a little bit right this moment, just for a second, you know, because we said COVID just, you know, made us all do. And we had to step up and start doing things to get through that because we knew from past experience, 2008 and nine for us, that that's the time to take action. And, you know, we just realized that we were so busy doing that we needed to step back and think about, and we're putting some boundaries back up around some of the things and you know boundaries sometimes would be I would look at them as you know guardrails or boundaries right and yeah. so safety nets and, and those things that's interesting um so M Melissa in your book um you talk about 10 different principles I know we're not going to spend we're not we don't have the time to go through everything but I think it would be kind of important to maybe put a framework around what are some of the principles or how, you know, and then we can talk about that and then kind of dive into them. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to. Well, first I'll say that I chose to frame them as principles because they're guideposts, kind of like what you're, you're saying, guardrails. Guardrails, there you go, guideposts. Guide because it's not absolute. It's not black and white. It's not often a matter of right or wrong. You know, it's not formulaic. These are principles of boundaries, meaning these are things to think about, to guide your thinking, to help you weigh the options, weigh the pros and cons, you know, short-term, long-term consequences to help you discern what you want your boundaries to be. 
And so again, that's why I call them principles that they're things to consider to guide your thinking and helping you establish and maintain your boundaries. And one of the most important um, key principles of boundaries, I've already said, and that's consequences. You know, if there is no consequence to a boundary being violated, it's really not a boundary. <laughs> it's a suggestion, which is okay if I don't care if I get something different, or it could be a threat, which is not loving. <laughs> a consequence allows the natural feedback loop of, you know, choices and consequences to flow. We reap what we sow so differently. So when I make a choice, every choice that I make, there are natural consequences, natural things that come as a result. We're used to often using the word consequences in a, a negative connotation, but there are positive consequences <laughs> and neutral consequences. And then it can also be a mix. And so just keeping in mind that if it really is a boundary, it needs to be protected. And there's consequences for it to be when it's um, when it's violated again. So that gives someone a feedback loop to say, do you want to make this choice uh, again or not? Paul, I'll, I'll pick on you. <laughs> I, I like to say we teach people how to treat us by what we put up with and what we don't tolerate. If I, I'm gonna, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reverse our roles. I'm going to pick on you, but I'm going to be the bad guy. If I am just nasty to you, if I condescend to you and just have this, you know, harsh tone with you and you let me, you're essentially treating, teaching me, Melissa, it's okay for you to treat me that way. But if you say, Melissa, I understand you're hurt, but it's really hard for me to stay in this conversation and listen when you're using that tone or you're using that volume with me. That's given me feedback, a consequence for my harsh tone to say that's damaging to our relationship, you know, and invites me to, to rein that in to get to a place where Paul and I can have a more constructive conversation. That's a consequence to my harsh tone, a consequence to violating his boundary that says for us to be in a relationship, it's got to have, you know, a level of, of respect and civility to it. So consequences are an important principle to, to boundaries. And we need to be mindful if we're going to set a boundary to be prepared to enforce it. Because otherwise, you know, maybe Paul lets me use a harsh tone with him sometimes, but not always. I'm mad at him today and I may think today's my day. I'm going to get away with it. I'm going to test that. See if he'll let me be mean to him again. And sometimes I'll get away with it. Sometimes I won't. But it, it kind of makes him like a slot machine. <laughs> let me see if I can get my way today. And if not, okay, but it's worth testing because today could be the, the day I'll get away with my anger, you know, being unleashed at him. So think about what we want our boundaries to be. Um, be mindful that there needs to be a consequence to enforce it. It needs to be a fair, you know, equitable boundary. Um, but really to protect a boundary, for it not to be a suggestion or a threat, it needs to have some natural consequences to it. Interesting. That's, uh, that makes all kinds of sense because if you don't, like you said, I, I just like that. If you don't have consequences to it, then it's just, it's not a boundary. It's just a suggestion. Mm -hmm. um, Paul, anything, you know, when, when you hear that, what does that bring up for you? Well, the interesting thing um, that comes to mind as I was listening uh, to Melissa is that um, in a business setting, boundaries help to define the culture. 
Um, so, you know, I gave the example earlier of the, of the executive parking spots or the executive dining room or something like that, or the boundary between the front office and the shop floor, or whatever. Um, but when we live in a family or when we live in a business, culture, the culture of that family, the culture of that, that business, something that becomes invisible to us. It, it's very visible to an outsider who walks in. Uh, you know, there aren't so many companies today that have reserved parking spots for the executives and so on. So if you were to walk into a parking lot and see that, it would jump out at you today. Uh, you'd say, oh, wow, that says something about the culture here. Um, but for people who've worked in a company like that for 30 years, you know, they don't even see the sign. It, it doesn't register. And what also doesn't register, to Melissa's point, is the consequences. So they don't step back and say to themselves, um, what are the consequences of having this boundary between the workers and the managers in this company? How does that affect morale? How does that affect the flow of ideas or whatever? Um, you were I love that. Well, you just said something really important because I, I don't want to miss that. How does this affect the flow of ideas? Is is a concept that you know I just really want to latch on to because oftentimes we may see that you know the family has great energy and and vision and you know so many times you know we the non-family members in the family business you know because of what the boundaries because of the you know uh, the you know the hierarchy or whatnot you don't get that free flow of ideas and far too often some of the best ideas are coming from outside of us and, and being open to that. So I apologize for interrupting, but I just thought it was super important to, to latch on to that. Yeah, so the, this is um, what Melissa is talking about when she's talking about letting in the good. You know, if, if you have too rigid a boundary, then the ideas from, from let's say shop floor workers aren't gonna percolate up to managers who are in a position to, you know, allocate the money to implement them. Great. Melissa, would you like to share one of the other principles? I, 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 I know we've got, we're going to have time for a few of them. So, and then I, I know you've got some, some examples and stories and you want to talk about how to effectively add boundaries when they aren't currently in place. So we, we're going to get to all of those things, but let's maybe get another one of the, your favorite principles. Absolutely. Well, I do have favorites because it seems there are some that are more foundational than others. That consequences one, again, it's, it's really not a boundary if there are not consequences. And another important uh, principle is, um, I'm kind of going in my head, which one do I pick? Which one do I pick? <laughs> but responsibility. Again, I, I alluded to this when we were talking about the myths. You know, sometimes folks wonder if they have a right to have boundaries and the reframe that I would suggest is they have a responsibility because um, I am responsible for myself and, and each person that I'm in a relationship with, whether that's more of a transactional, you know, like at the grocery store or relational, like a family member, we are each responsible for ourselves as individuals and have a right to be unique and distinct. So as an individual, I have a right, you know, to have my own personality and preferences and values you know, I, I have my thoughts, I have my feelings, and I'm responsible for them. Once we get into a relationship, we start to overlap our lives. 
And we've got to figure out in that space of relationship how to honor the other person that we're in the relationship with and their unique characteristics and preferences and to figure out how to be a we and not just a me. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, for relationships to be healthy, we have to prioritize we over me sometimes, but not all the time. Because otherwise, we'll more time. for relationships to be healthy, sometimes we have to prioritize we, our relationship over me. And sometimes you, you know, over over me. So when we're an individual, you know, we can focus on our own thoughts and our priorities and our values. But again, when we want to overlap and share our lives with other people, we've got to figure out how to share that space, you know, quote unquote, metaphorical space together. Some things we have in common, shared interests, shared hobbies, shared skills, other things we have uh, differ and they may be complementary differences. An example I often use is, you know, from a very traditional, you know, like marriage, maybe the, the, the husband focuses on, you know, like working, you know, outside the home and maybe the wife has more of the responsibility for the children and supporting them in their education. Those are complementary skill sets, complementary differences, and those can be things that draw us together. But what about those rough edges that differ amongst us? <laughs> you know, when you forget to, again, just a silly, you know, when you forget to put the toothpaste cap back on, how do we stay in a relationship when you won't put the cap back on the toothpaste? A very simple, ordinary, you know, thing, but those day-to-day -day irritations that get under us, how do we stay in relationship, you know, without letting those differences be divisive for us? And one of the principles that can be so key to that is recognizing I am responsible for me. You're responsible for you. I'm not responsible for your thoughts, for your feelings, <clears throat> for your behaviors, for your values, but I'm I need to be responsive to you. I need to recognize that my choices impact you because we're in a relationship. Um, and that can be hard and important distinction to know that we are what we are responsible for, us being responsive to other people um, and valuing that relationship can be an important um, understanding to, to have. Michael, that is not my best teaching on the principle of responsibility. So help me out and tell me what was not clear in, in that. No, yeah, I think we're starting to hear it, but let's take it into maybe Paul, can you, I don't know if, if you're, what you're thinking about, but inside the family business, when you hear that, can you kind of run with that? And then I'm gonna come back to you on that, Melissa. Yeah, so, so um, you know, the broader question here is why are the boundary, why are boundaries so important in a family business? And, and Melissa does a, the community a big service. When I say community, I mean the family business community by bring, calling attention to boundaries and their, their, their key role. And I think the subtitle of her book has to do with how to thrive as a family in, in, in business. I may be getting a word or two wrong, but that's the essence of it. And so if you think about um, our desire to have the family and the business thrive, you know, we need to be able to, to love and to work. Uh, I think Freud said that. Um, but in other words, you wanna feel a sense of relatedness or uh, you know, group cohesion or solidarity as a family. And you have to be able to work together effectively to set goals or make decisions and solve problems. And, and this is not easy. Um, 
because we have different roles. We have our roles as members of the family, as members of the business, as owners, you know, there's a so-called three circle model of business. And across each of those boundaries between the different roles, there, you know, there are differences, different requirements of what's required of me and what's required of we, you know, uh, um, and conflict stems from those differences. So um, we're never gonna get rid of all of the conflicts that are inherent in being part of a family or a family business um, because of this complexity. But um, being able to recognize the constructive role that boundaries can play in, in regulating things um, is important. And, and so I think the kinds of principles that Melissa's talk, talking about are very useful. When you say responsibility, and, and Paul, you know, it, it was between the two of you that I just kind of pulled this picture together. See if you can help me through this. But you know, responsibility to me, responsibility to, to we, and then when you throw that into the context of a family business, that gets multiplied by me as a manager, me as a father, me as a brother, me as a you know, me as the as the head of the company, and 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 taking the time to think about the, your responsibility in each of those me, we situations. Sometimes the we, when we're making a, a business decision as a family, it's time to say, look, we've discussed this to the nth degree. Now it's time to just get on board and go with it. Whether you voted for it or against it, it's a we. And that's, that's your responsibility at that point to be able to take that ball and run with it. The other side is to the me is if you feel that we're making a decision for the company that's against the values that we have established, the culture that we have, and other people are just missing this, then it's the me part. I have to stand up and continually be responsible to say, you know, we talked about this. How come, how come I'm the only one that can see that this is going hard against the core values that we've established? Yeah. Is that, that, well, oh, yeah. go ahead. Well, I just want to say that that was well put, Michael. Um, basically, we have multiple we's and, and multiple me's. Uh, so Melissa earlier said that it's going to get more complex. And I think this is what she was alluding to. What, what would you say? It Melissa? is. It's those, those overlapping roles, which Paul and Michael, you both tapped. So the responsibilities of being a, you know, let's say a, a manager, a leader in the business, those responsibilities are different than the responsibilities when I'm in my role of being a family member. But the people I'm related to, to the extent that they are family members are the same. And so it can be hard to, to be responsible for my role as a company leader and make choices that I know are going to disappoint, you know, like coworkers who, <laughs> hard enough if they're just coworkers sometimes, but if they are also a family member and I'm worried about how those ripple effects from this business relationship and decision ripples over to those family relationships, that can be very difficult. But that is, you know, an inherent responsibility of being a business leader is to, you know, make these difficult choices and implement them um, to, to lead the company and not, not let it be, you know, a democracy <laughs> where everyone, you know, get everyone may get a, a voice, they may get to express their opinion and contribute to, you know, the decisions being made, but ultimately the leader is responsible for making those decisions. And Michael, your challenge is disagree but commit. 
which can be hard. And it can be easier if folks have had, you know, a chance to weigh in. It can be easier for them to buy in, but, but it can be hard. But that's the responsibility of the leader is to make the final choice and then move forward with it. But again, just that challenge when that, when you're interacting with people who you share that family relationship with and you know it may impact those relationships can be so hard. The, the, there's the apocryphal story of, of the patriarch in a family business with the different caps. Have you heard that one? Um, I guess everybody, everybody's probably heard it. So I'll run through it very quickly. But the, the, the father uh, who's the CEO calls his son, who's a vice president into the office and the son hasn't been performing. So he says, uh, well, first of all, he puts on a cap that says, um, uh, you know, it's got the business logo on it. So everybody knows he's in his business role, right? And he says to the son, son, you know, you just haven't been cutting it. We've given you several choices and unfortunately we have to fire you. And uh, then he takes off that cap and he puts on another cap that says, dad. And he says, son, I'm sorry. Sorry that you just lost your job. How can I help? Great <laughs> right story. It, it's 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 that you know a cartoon I think that's been passed around in in our industry you know for years, but it it's so important to realize that you know it, I love the title of your book going in the company of family, and it's you know when you when you when you when you dismiss the family piece of a family business it's there's a there's a time when it's you know really simple. Mom and dad start the business, you know, right? Mom and dad are out there. They're just trying to make ends meet. They're just trying to put food on the table for everybody. And they come up with this idea and they get good at that thing, right? And then G2 comes in, as we call them, generation two. And they come in and say, you know, we can do what mom and dad did. I, we, we saw how hard they worked. We're going to, you know, we'll, we'll manage this and may, even, maybe even make it better. And they all came from the same house. So even though they may have separate values themselves, they're really close and their culture is really related. And so it's easy to do that stuff, but it's the moment you break to generation three, they've grown up in different houses. They, you know, there's different moms or dads and, you know, they, they, so you have now their cousins and that piece is such a difficult transition it's probably one of the biggest pieces if you know to why that old you know the proverb of the shirt sleeves the shirt sleeves and three generations that rarely has anything to do with their ability to do great work or to do that thing that they do so well it's that complication of values and family and communication and trust right it does, it gets much more complex once it moves behind the, the sibling generation into cousins, you know, and, and to the nth degree. And then in-laws, you know, do you, do you invite in-laws into the business or not, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> the challenges grow exponentially. Yeah. Would you mind taking us through, you know, you've been doing this work for a while and you probably both have some stories that kind of exemplify this and, and like we said, we've only hit on so far two of the principles out of the that are in the books. There's lots of other learning tools in there. Don't don't miss that. But walk me walk us through a just a live example so people can hear it. And is that for me to get started or Paul? Do you, if you don't mind, 
Um, that'd be great. Maybe there's, maybe there's a story about two daughters. Is that I what was going to go there. All right. uh, this is a, this is, well, I share this because so all the stories in the book are based upon one or more actual clients that I've worked with, but it's important to say that the, you know, anything identifying, you know, has been changed to protect that. So when I say the Wells family, this is not a literal family, but it is inspired by true events. And it's an easy fact pattern to, to set up that illustrates that challenge we've been alluding to, you know, good and bad out. What does that look like when you've got these different roles of, of life competing? And so Jay Wells started Wells Electric, and at some point his two daughters did start to join him in the business, very well skilled for it, and they had some non-family managers. And about a couple of years before Jay um, was scheduled to retire, about two years, you know, he'd been very intentional, unlike, you know, kind of the, to his credit, he'd been very intentional about transitioning leadership and um, responsibility to the non-family and family managers. But about two years before his planned full retirement, he started noticing his mind just was not working the way it always had. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm right at 70, you know, maybe this is the normal aging and, you know, the uh, business members thought the same thing, but then they started to notice the pace pick up. And unfortunately, the neurologist confirmed this is not just aging. This is this is dementia, um, and actually, actually, it's Alzheimer's. And so, for Jay himself, he wanted to continue to be involved in the business, and he had a lot that he could share. At a personal level, his doctor said, "Stay actively involved." socially, mentally, physically, that's good for you to help slow the progression of, of the dementia. And so good in looked like Jay continuing to work at the personal level. And even at a professional level, you know, in the business, because he had good to offer to the business, they wanted to let it in. However, there were times where Jay, you know, he was sharp as a sack. And there were times where Jay, he would speak and it would sound like a jumbled salad. It would be like, I don't even, that doesn't even make sense. And the unfortunate thing was it, was, it was really impossible to predict when it would happen, how long it would happen. And so for Jay is still the CEO of this business being the primary person to check on, you know, check on the job sites and uh, tend to the relationships with clients and prospects. It was really dangerous. You know, you know, like from a reputation uh, standpoint. And so for the business, what did it look like to let the good in of Jay's expertise and desire to work, but keep the bad out of that unpredictability of how his mind, you know, and ability to communicate was going to, to work. And so that's an example of where we get to where, you know, what looks good for the individual. How do you, and, you know, Jay is a professional, how do you let in that good but protect against the risks that that created at the business level? And especially when you want to honor your dad, um, you want to honor the CEO, but he's, he's one of those, um, he is a, such a risk factor right now out of his control. Good example. That's uh, hard too. I can't imagine when you were coaching through that, you know, I can only imagine some of the conversations. How did you get from point A to point B of setting those boundaries? Well, he, um, you know, first it was about grief. You know, he had to grieve, the family had to grieve this, this 
diagnosis and, and prognosis. Um, but then it was very quickly necessary to make decisions about, you know, how to protect the, you know, protect the, the business, promote his health, but protect the business. And gratefully, he had a very strong relationship with um, not only his daughters, but the other two non-family leaders. He'd worked, they'd worked with him, you know, for like 25 and 30 years. And so just that great respect, he knew whenever they said to him, Jay, we need to have someone go. This was the boundary they set. You know, Jay couldn't go to these meetings by himself anymore. Mm -hmm. One of us is going to need to accompany you. That was a boundary. It was tough for Jay, but he had that heart connection, such respect for all four of the other leaders that he was able to, you know, tolerate that more because he knew it was coming from that, that place of, of love and respect. Perfect. Paul, when, you know, thinking about families that you've worked with, family businesses that you've worked with and boundaries, does, does an example come to mind for you? Sure. Um, uh, with generational transitions where you have a, say a patriarch or a matriarch who's, who's uh, running the business and, and uh, they're contemplating a handoff to a son or a daughter. Um, I can think of one case, for example, but in general, the, the, um, the, the boundary issue comes in because um, there's a tendency on the part of the, uh, the parent to um, overstep their boundaries uh, and, and do things for the child because you know, that's the way it was when they were growing up. And that continues into uh, adulthood. So um, it's important for the, the younger person who's going to be taking over to be able to uh, defend their boundaries and take on more and more responsibility over time. Um, sometimes it's difficult for them to do that. Um, in Melissa's book, she talks about the difference between uh, hurting and harming. Uh, but you can imagine a continuum uh, from, from on the one hand, you know, just some temporary ruffling of feathers or hurting of feelings to on the other hand, really doing damage to someone. And uh, people sometimes go to the extreme in their thinking. They imagine that if, if they stand up to their father, that it's gonna, you know, hurt the father, uh, you know, kill the father <laughs> in the fantasy, right? In the myths. Um, uh, and so that may keep them from asserting themselves. And, you know, they may be torn, they may have mixed feelings, you know, they have an intense love and gratitude and so on. And at the same time, that's competing with the part of them that wants to step up. So oftentimes it can take some, some work to get them over the hump so that they can assert themselves. But in one example that I saw, the father said to the son, look, when you're ready, you can take over. And for a long time, the son didn't feel ready. But um, finally, when the, when the um, son felt ready, he went to the father and said, okay. And uh, as you would uh, imagine, the father's response was something like, well, not so fast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, the son was prepared for it and he stood up for himself. And when he did that in a... Um, a clear way, the father stepped back, you know, he, he said, uh, in his own mind, I think what he was saying to himself is, that's what I've been waiting for. That's what I wanted to see. Now you can take over. 
That's great. You know, it's, it's very, you know, creating those boundaries and, and boundaries are created through conversation and these, you know, anyway, I know we're going to talk about effectively adding those, but I'm just seeing those, that creation of those boundaries through good conversation, healthy conflict, and, and being able to get from point A to point B. Um, I have been doing this for a long time, working with family-owned businesses now, and rarely um, do you see, you know, it go perfectly smooth. But when you do, you just sit there and be like, you're, you're just, you just want to clap and, you know, give them all high fives. And I, I just had somebody on the show last week and the father, you know, basically, you know, said to himself, my son, who's in his twenties and the kid was in his twenties has something that uh, there's a fire, a drive that I don't even see in myself in my fifties. And he turned over the CEO role when the kid was 26 and I had, that was, that's unheard of for somebody to have that level of purposeful thinking to say, you know, where could this be if, you know, so he had the money to, to fund things. The business is 10 times what it was when the kid first took over as CEO. And so just really neat to see those kinds of things. And, you know, and he, he has to remind himself and, you know, and I didn't see it as boundaries when we we're having the conversation, but he had to remind himself constantly that I'm the, the money behind this. I'm not the CEO anymore. And you know, I can't, you know, it's, it, but he keeps working at that. And it's something that he has to constantly remind himself of because he so wants to so many times jump back into that role. That's, I didn't see that before, but when you talk about it, that's really neat to see. Thank you. That's a cool story. So he saw in his son, despite his age, some, some wisdom, some inspiration. And he said, that is good. I want that good in this company. And essentially demoted himself in some way or a lateral move, changed his role in the company and gave that responsibility and authority to his son, despite his age, which was remarkable <laughs> and a tremendous act of courage and humility to, to do. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Paul. Well, it, it just reminds us that um, the, uh, the parable about shirt sleeves, shirt sleeves has its exceptions. Yes. And, and there are some families where, where people do very well. Uh, I, I had a client who sold his business for a billion dollars. And afterwards, he was in the fortunate position to be able to fund his, his sons in business. And one bought a company and one founded a company. And the father had good boundaries. And rather than, than meddling in those businesses or, or saying, you know, sink or swim, he was like a, um, a good board member. You know, he, he would uh, intervene only to the extent necessary to be helpful, but, but uh, he was able to, uh, to, to balance it so that his sons could still feel that they were really in charge. That's, that, that's a really great way to think about it. When I, you know, in the book I wrote, a bunch of years ago, I talk about the the parent transition, and I think it's just it's a nice picture. Um, and it, again, it's it and what it's doing is setting up boundaries. And it's like you know, up to a certain age, and for every child, it's different. You must parent them. You have to say no. You have to put up the things. You have to do for them. You know, all of those pieces. But somewhere along the lines you have to transform and make that transition into the coach. 
You have to allow them to make the mistakes and put the pieces, you know, allow them to hit the brick wall, allow them to motivate themselves, allow them, yada, yada, you, you get the picture. But then they're also, and, and again, different for each kid. There's probably a time when we really need to start taking on that colleague role. Just, you know, I may be 50, you're 26, you know, but you know, you, you finished college, I finished college, we're, we're even though there's a big age discrepancy, we're much more alike as human beings. And, and so if you very, it's hard for us to think about those differentiators, those boundaries that need to be put up to be able to make those transitions and think through those things sometimes. Yeah, so sometimes you're just renegotiating them, so to speak. I'm right. There, but they have to be adjusted. Right. Melissa, let's start diving into, you know, what are some of these ways that we can effectively add boundaries, especially when they aren't, you know, currently in place, or if they're in place, but maybe they're not effective, or they're hurtful, they're not, you know, not helping in the right manners. How, what are some of the effective ways to do this? Well, I'll say that, you know, creating, maintaining, healthy, effective boundaries is, is a skill, you know, and so when we're developing any skill, it makes sense to, you know, start small and build from there. So if there is not harm going on, Paul mentioned earlier, the difference between hurt and harm, if there's not harm going on, it's just not as good as it could be, as good as it, we want it to be, then it makes sense to start small. If there is harm, you know, I'll, I'll table that for a conversation. You know, there's a different sort of response to that. But let's just say they're not as good as they could be. They're not as good as we want them to be. Start, start small. Practice. <laughs> and even practice with people who are likely, because Paul used the word, you know, renegotiating. When we want to change things that impact relationships, you know, it's like a, if you can picture a mobile you know, family systems and even these these business units, if you think about a mobile, like would hang over a, a crib, you know, you've got these inter, you know, you've got the horse and the cow and the pig and the sheep, <laughs> you know, they're independent, but they're also interdependent. You tap the little pig, you know, and to different degrees, it, it affects the other barnyard animals because they, they are interdependent. And so it really is a, a dance, you know, that you can you can coach, but you can't absolutely choreograph because there's this back and forth negotiation. And so to practice being more consistent, where our yes means yes and our no means no, it can be helpful to start practicing with those people who are quote unquote safe, meaning they will support and work with us to, to help the boundaries to be more effective because they recognize, again, it's for our best interests. This isn't something against me. It's meant to be for our collective interest. And, and really that goal is for, <laughs> it's for um, uh, congruity between what I say on the outside and what I feel on the inside. So sometimes, you know, Michael, I would say, yes, I'd love to come to the party. I'd, you know, I'd love to join you on that committee for the family business. And on the inside, I'm going, oh, I just don't have time for this. I don't have time for this at all. This is not something I'm interested in. So, you know, having our yes be yes and our no means no is about, you know, letting the insides versus the outsides match. And sometimes that's, you know, simply essentially telling the truth. <laughs> if I really don't want to be a part of that committee, let me say no. However, 
as I said earlier, there are times in every type of relationship where we put the we above the me. So if you say, Melissa, will you help out with this committee? And I feel like, I feel like this is something that I need to do. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to give Michael my yes. Then it's a matter of lining up my insides <laughs> with my outsides. And that means having a boundary with myself. When I go to that committee, I'm not fuming on the inside. I can't believe I'm here, blah, blah, blah. Being responsible for my yes. I said, yes, <laughs> let me behave. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so it's in, it's our insides and our outsides matching up <laughs> being a safe person for ourselves. But then again, with, with other people, um, like the, the role play earlier with, with Paul, if he says, you know, Melissa, I really want us to work on, you know, having better relationships and better boundaries. And one of those things I had in mind is that we, you know, start to, let's just watch our tone. You know, when we talk to each other, that's a new boundary of the tone of how we speak to each other. And we agree, yep, this is a way we can make our relationship better. Let's support each other and hold each other accountable. And then we agree to it. I may not like when I'm, you know, I'm really upset and I want to use a harsh tone with Paul, but if he will, you know, be supportive and say, hey, I know you're angry. Remember what we agreed to. He's a safe person for me to practice. Let me dial that down watch my tone, respect that boundary that we set for our relationship. Um, and again, it's, it's safe to, to practice. Building that skill, um, applying the, the principles, knowing how they apply, and then again, just being applying them in those safe relationships can give me the, the courage and the practice to apply them in those more challenging situations. And this is really important because, you know, one of the other things I see sometimes is folks kind of get this aha, this light bulb goes off, boundaries exist and they can work for me, I want them to work for me, and folks can try to make too many changes at once, and then they don't maintain them, and it creates that, you know, kind of slot machine sort of experience that I mentioned earlier where it sets people up, I'm not sure if she really means this, if this really is a boundary, let me test it. <laughs> And that inconsistency can really undermine not only creating better boundaries, but can, but can undermine the relationship health itself. So if there's not harm, start small, start with safe people, practice, build from there, get the strength and the courage. Oh my goodness, boundaries really work for us. It's not just about me. They work for us. They can give me the courage to maintain and allow there to be negative consequences when a boundary is, is violated or not respected. Consistency is key. That's, uh, I, I want to jump in with an example of, you know, and I'll use myself. Have either of you read Liz Wiseman's book, Multipliers? Mm -hmm. I, if you highly, highly recommend it, especially within um, family businesses. Um, Liz talks about, you know, the personality type that's a multiplier that just makes everything better as a leader. And then the opposite of a multiplier then would be a detractor, right? And so it's, I'm always undermining, I'm always cutting, you know, people, whatever the, the case may be. But then she identified something called the uh, diminisher, she called them, multiplier diminisher. And then she, and then she put in the middle the accidental dis diminisher which she said is that person that really thinks they're a multiplier. They're always there, but some of their actions are diminishers. And I took the darn assessment and I'm sitting here going, oh my gosh, I'm an accidental diminisher. 
and I don't even know it. And so I think, you know, what I did for my team is I, I, I gave them the list. I showed them the things that I do not by acts, you know, it's, you don't do, you're not doing these things on purpose, but you, you know, one of the things that I would do is I would send an email at nine o'clock at night or, you know, Saturday afternoon, or you know, just because I was working, you know, constantly, I would send them the emails and, the, and they, they said, Mike, every time you send us the email, we get Ajita. We, we, we're like, we're feeling less than because we think that we're not doing enough inside the business. That would be one of those areas that we would really appreciate if you could. So, uh, you know, now when I have those ideas, I found a little thing in Outlook that says, do not deliver before 8 a.m. on Monday morning. So they might have five emails from me that came throughout the time that I was going there, but it's set up and they know when they see it on Monday, they laugh, but you know, they appreciate not getting them popped up on their thing and feeling less than. Is that a decent example? Well, Michael, you found a tool, technology, to help you have the type of boundaries that you want. The culture, as Paul was talking about earlier, where there is work-life balance and you're not accidentally dimensioning, uh, diminishing that differentiation between work and non-work time for your team members by sending them an email. So it's, it's a great example. Yeah, again, let tools work for us. It's a great example of just a, a day-to-day boundary, but the difference that it can make something so simple yeah even if they know you sent it technically you wrote it over the weekend it doesn't arrive in their mailbox until monday morning and that just that boundary yeah such a difference for them it's a small small, simple tool that you know (laughs) could work and there's but there's probably you know i'm i have not read the book yet i'm going to get the book i can't wait to go through it because all of the other pieces that are in there the more the more we you know leaders are learners and the more as leaders of the family business that we're learning new things and exposing ourselves, I always say that, you know, once you pour that information into somebody, they're changed forever, regardless. You can't unpour that information into that head. And so now, you know, you, you, those things muster and they take form and shape and, and we grow as leaders. And that's some of the most important things that we can do as leaders inside of the family business, both for what, our family and for the non-family members and for the business. Um, parting, th- you guys have been great. This has been a really nice discussion. And I, you know, my gut would say that if we spent the next four hours unpacking all of the other principles, we could really dive into some other examples and, and things. And that would be all kinds of fun for me. But I think um, since we're coming up on the top of the hour, what I'd like to do is any Anything that you wanted to say that I didn't ask, feel free to jump in or parting thoughts. And after your parting thoughts, um, how can people reach you if they want to reach out to you? Talk, you know, Where can they find your book, Melissa? That kind of stuff. So Paul, I'll, I'll jump in with you. Okay, thanks, Michael. So your story about the accidental diminisher that you discovered yourself to be raises a very important point. You know, sometimes these things that we do that aren't getting us the results that we want are outside of our awareness. So I I think that one of the key things that Melissa has done, the contribution of her book, is she's raised people's awareness around this whole concept of boundaries. And so people will will be taking a look once they read the book at at, uh, how they do things and how they can do things better. And 
the mantra that I um, keep in my, my own mind is you want to have clear goals, you want to make conscious choices, and on the basis of those choices, you know, you want to try to take effective action. And that mantra applies in the domain of establishing boundaries. So, uh, uh, so I've learned a lot um, since reading the book and having this opportunity to discuss it with you, and I appreciate it. And how can people reach you if they wanted to, Paul? Oh, sure. So um, my website uh, is um, familyoffice.coach, um, or people can email paul at familyoffice.coach. Not dot .com, but dot .coach. Dot .coach. Thank you. <laughs> Melissa. Well, Michael, thank you for the chance to come. It's just, it's fun to have the three of us talk about a, a topic that I have have been passionate about and, and help people with for, for decades just to hear how you all see you know these concepts in action in, in your personal life like with your team your professional life and, and with the family businesses that we serve I genuinely have not seen any other kind of body body of principles body of skills make as transformational of an impact as what I share in the book and so that's exciting to me to be able to put it in, hopefully a user-friendly, you know, package and say, hey, here's some of the most powerful stuff that I've discovered, you know, with helping family businesses. So I love hang having that out there to share if folks want to know more about the book. It's companyoffamily.com. And then my practice website is melissamitchellblitch.com would love to hear questions or comments that folks have, you know, the challenges they experience with boundaries and family business, but just encourage everybody think about how, you know, how could a, a boundary, something that lets in the good, keeps out the bad, you know, be more effective, make some difference in, in your personal life and your professional life. And then again, just start small, what's one step that you can take today or this week get it locked in place and, and start building from there to have have better boundaries because they really are for the collective good. They're not selfish. <laughs> they really are for the collective good. Perfect. Well, I had a blast. I appreciate both of you joining me today. Um, my name's Michael Columbus. This has been the Family Biz Show uh, with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And if you like this conversation, then be sure to join the podcast, you know, find the link. We're on Apple and Google and Spotify, and there's other great conversations just like this that uh, um, you should be listening to. And you're welcome to check out our website, familywealthandlegacy.com. Everybody have a great day and enjoy the rest of the week. Be well, all. Thanks for listening to The Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with The Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy, LLC, is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. 
Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.